Our second gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, What are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You, spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out of him. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind can only come out through prayer. This is the word of God for the people of God. So this morning we are continuing in our sermon series that we've been calling Listen, Hearing That Still Small Voice and Finding Your Own. And each week in this series we've been talking about different ways that we can listen for the voice of God in our lives. And this morning we're talking about listening for healing. Now when I was in middle school there was a girl in my youth group named Kim. And Kim had to have exploratory surgery on her shoulder because of reasons that I don't remember, because my medical knowledge wasn't terribly vast when I was 13 years old. So I'm a little sketchy on the details. But what I do remember is that our youth group leader told us to pray that the surgery would go well, and so we did. And this was the very first time that I remember praying for somebody, specifically that they would be healed. And the surgery ended up going very well. In fact, it was one of those situations that you hear about sometimes where a doctor goes in expecting the worst but instead found a perfectly healthy shoulder with nothing wrong and she even called it miraculous. And when this was reported back to the youth group, I think I said something along the lines of, oh my God, so the prayer thing actually worked? <laughs> and my youth group leader said, of course it did, of course it does. Well, in the last couple of decades since then, I've seen a lot of people prayed for that they would be healed. And these prayers for healing took on a lot of different forms. 
I used to go to charismatic meetings where people were prayed for and they would fall over and shake and then they would get up and they would say that they were healed. I remember one time I was house-sitting for some friends and I couldn't sleep, so I decided to take advantage of their cable package and see what late-night Christian television was like. And let me tell you something, you think you've seen a televangelist, but you haven't seen a televangelist until you've seen the one who gets the 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. slot. (laughs) That guy. (laughs) Yeah. They all seem to love praying for people to be healed, provided they get a donation of some sort. But I've also seen honest and humble and earnest people praying for healing. Some of you have prayed for my healing in different situations, and I've prayed for some of you that you would be healed in different situations. And to be completely honest, it hasn't always worked out quite as perfectly as it did with Kim's shoulder that first time. And I've heard a lot of explanations as to why. Some people told me that my prayers for healing didn't work because I didn't pray with enough faith. Some people told me that God always answers prayer, but sometimes the answer is no. Others told me that while God desires to answer these prayers positively for healing, the devil has other plans. And so I just share this complicated history about healing with you because I think that our understanding of healing can be just that, complicated. So what I'd like to do is take a look at the two stories that we just read from the Gospel of Mark Uh, two stories about Jesus healing people, and just make a couple of observations about what healing might look like according to them. So in our first story, we find a woman who has been suffering hemorrhages for 12 years. Now, this woman would have been living in a culture where if she were bleeding, she would be considered unclean. And that uncleanliness would spread to anybody that she touched or anybody who touched her. And not only that, but anywhere she sat, that place would be considered unclean. Any chair, any cushion, any bench would be considered unclean. Which means that this woman has likely not been touched in 12 years. Could you imagine 12 years without an embrace? Some of you aren't huggers, and I'm looking at your faces right now, and these faces are saying, where can I sign up? (laughs) Do you have to renew it every 12 years, or is this just kind of an ongoing thing? (laughs) But really, though, 12 years with no physical contact, little to no physical contact. And not only that, but if everywhere she sits is considered unclean, let's think about this. Do you think that she's been invited into anybody's home? Or do you think she's been able to host anybody in her home for 12 years? Probably not. So this is why I find it so interesting that it's apparently a touch that makes this woman well. You may have noticed that while Ken was reading that passage, that word touch is repeated several times. The woman sneaks up behind Jesus, touches his cloak, and the hemorrhages stop. See... This woman didn't just need to be healed of a physical malady. In fact, she may have been able to endure that physical malady. Were she able to carry on with her normal life in some way? But I can't even begin to imagine how crippling the isolation was. And so it's a touch 
that heals her. It's almost like the gospel writer is trying to say that physical healing is one thing, but restoring someone's dignity or making it possible for them to love and be loved again, that is what healing looks like. In fact, we even see this with the word that Jesus uses when he responds to her. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Or literally, your faith has saved you. It can also mean things like, your faith has restored you, or your faith has made you whole again. So that's that first observation that I want to make about healing. It's that when we seek healing, we're not always looking for a cure. Many of you have found this to be true in your sickness or your suffering, and we've had these conversations before. Sometimes what we really want is dignity or love, or the ability to be present with our friends or families again. And when that gets restored, we feel the impact of that, and we call that healing. Sometimes we're more ready to call that a healing than the cure of a physical malady. So let's take a look at the second story. A huge crowd approaches Jesus as he comes into a particular town, and someone in the crowd starts yelling to Jesus about his son. Apparently, his son is possessed by a spirit that causes him to fall over and foam at the mouth and grind his teeth. Sounds an awful lot like a seizure, doesn't it? And so there are some people who believe that this poor kid suffered from some sort of epilepsy. So the father tells Jesus that he tried to bring the son to Jesus' disciples for healing, but they weren't able to do it. So Jesus responds to this by saying, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I endure you? So let's stop there for a moment. In the last story, Jesus told a woman that it was her faith that made her well. And now Jesus hears that a boy couldn't be healed by his disciples, and he calls them faithless in response. And this has caused a lot of people to say, aha, see? Healing just takes faith. And if you haven't been healed, it's because you don't believe hard enough. But I want to stop for a second and really think about what we're saying if we say this to someone. What we're really saying if we say this to someone is, hey, I know you're suffering because you're sick, or I know you're suffering because a loved one is sick and you're praying for them. Well, let me rub some salt in that wound by criticizing your faith and calling it weak. That's pretty much what we're saying when we say that. So not only does that logic lead to some pretty horrible bedside manner, but the other thing it does is ignore what follows in the passage. Because Jesus starts having a conversation with the boy's father, and eventually the father says to Jesus, if you are able to do anything, have pity on us. Did you catch that? If you are able to do anything, have pity on us. Not, Jesus, I know you can do this, but if you are able. He's expressing some doubt that Jesus can actually accomplish anything. And not only that, but when Jesus tells him that anything is possible for those who believe, the father doesn't say, okay, you're right, I'm sorry, I was out of line, I have complete faith, you can do this. Instead he says, I believe, help my unbelief. Even after Jesus tries to encourage this guy, he still doesn't fully trust that anything can happen. And so naturally, Jesus curses the guy and packs up and leaves, right? 
Some of you are nodding. No, we're talking about Jesus here. That's not what happened. The boy is healed by the end of the passage. And this leads to my second observation. I know there's a very adorable little boy crying in the back. But but this leads to my second observation. And it's that the relationship between faith and healing isn't as direct as some people would try to make it. The relationship between faith and healing isn't as direct as some people would try to make it. Jesus seems to recognize that a plea for healing often comes from those of us who are at the ends of our ropes and have little to no faith left. So, in just a moment, we're going to invite you to come down and receive prayers for healing. And I'll give you more instructions about that in just a moment. But first, I want to say that if you're skeptical about prayers for healing or you're wondering what they can actually accomplish, or maybe you're even a little bit ambivalent towards the idea that we're going to be offering prayers for healing, that's fine. That's fine. In fact, I think that's understandable. And I can't help but believe that even if you stay in your seat with your arms crossed, God is going to meet you there, too. But I want to encourage you to come forward during that time and bring all of that skepticism with you. If for no other reason than to remember that Jesus invites you regardless. Also, as you're preparing to receive these prayers, I'd like for you to take out the insert in this week's bulletin. On that insert, you'll find several different ways that the New Testament words for healing can also be translated. And I'd like you to use those words to guide you as you wonder where you might need to be healed. So you'll see different ways of asking the question, where do I need to be healed? Maybe you need to ask instead, where do I need to be rescued? Where do I need to be restored? Where do I need to be saved? Where do I need to be made whole? It's important to ask ourselves about our need for healing using that broader definition of the word, because like that woman with the hemorrhages in the earlier passage, we might be so focused on needing healing in one part of our lives that we're ignoring the deeper wounds that we may have. So when I was in college, I heard that my friend Fred, an old, long-retired United Methodist pastor, was going to be doing one of these healing services at my United Methodist church back home. And I was curious to hear what that was going to be like, because at that point in my life, I had a growing skepticism towards prayers for healing, but I also, at the same time, had a lot of respect for Fred, so I really wanted to know what was going to happen. So a few days after the service, I called one of my friends to hear what the service was like, and he told me the story about a woman who was sick, and she went up to be prayed for so that her illness would go away. But when she got down to the kneeler, Fred looked into her eyes and asked, what was her name? He asked, what was her name? And the woman started weeping. See, Fred was tuned into this idea that healing isn't always about illnesses being cured. Sometimes you need someone in your life to ask you, who hurt you? What grudges are you carrying? Who do you need to forgive? Because sometimes you know this. Those wounds run a lot deeper, don't they? So we're going to sing our response together, and then we will pray and do a blessing over the oil, and then you'll be invited to come forward with whatever burdens you have. And we are honored to have the opportunity to pray for healing and forgiveness 
and wholeness and rescue and salvation and safety and restoration or whatever form your need for healing takes.